Well, we're here. It's that time. Let's uh, let's dig in. We're in uh, Judges 15. We're going to finish up 15, probably get into some of 16. We won't get all the way through 16, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, my guess is we'll get through the first... Uh, the first few verses, 16, if we're lucky. But we're going to pick it up in 15. Remember, in chapter 15, uh, we have uh, uh, Samson is responding to his uh, uh, father-in-law giving away his wife. And so he, he, uh, he takes vengeance, not just upon his father-in-law, but upon all of the Philistines. And you'll remember that what he does is he grabs... and. Scripture Hebrews is a little. The Hebrew language is a little unclear as to whether or not they're truly foxes. Probably not, because foxes don't come in packs. It's probably the jackal uh, that's over there that they they grabbed. He grabs three hundred of them, ties their tails together, puts a a torch in 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 the middle of the tails, and sends them off, and basically destroys the economic. Uh, prosperity of the Philistines by letting loose all of these jackals running around through their fields. It, it's burning up grain that has been already uh, uh, cut or grain that's standing or uh, the olive uh, groves and the vineyards are all catching fire as a result of this. And this is a huge problem because remember, this is the economic engine of all of the people of that time. Agriculture is the way that they make a living and the way they survive. So you're destroying them. And as a result of that, the Philistines are just a slightly bit peeved. Right? And they respond, you know, in, in kind by starting off by burning down his father-in-law's house, killing his father-in-law, killing his, his bride who ended up going with somebody else. So... Uh, that's kind of where they're at, and then they decide they're going to come against the uh, against uh, Judah, and uh, they come up with an army. And uh, Judah is uh, perturbed and decides that they're not going to put up with it anymore. And remember, we talked about the fact that these are people who are supposedly, you know, the, the picture is they're they're believers who have chosen to side with the enemy. They're people who have decided to side against. God's anointed instead of with God's anointed. And they raised an army of like 3,000 to come against them. And he, we, were, we came to the end of basically, and, and we were kind of in the process of, they, they turn him over to the, um, uh, and he negotiates with his, his, uh, the, the people of Judah about, you're not going to kill me. No, we're not going to kill you. We just want to turn him over to the Philistines. Okay, fine. So he gets, he agrees to that. And last week we had uh, we had talked about the fact that he's bound with new ropes. Uh, they they get to the Philistines. They're busy shouting and, and chanting, and you know it probably is uh, something about how great they are and how good their their God is and how much they're going to you know destroy Samson. And um, and as a result of that, he uh, the spirit of the Lord it says in verse. Uh, uh, 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and the ropes on his arms uh, became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And uh, so uh, I want to pick it up uh, in probably verse 14, I guess. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and um, uh, go from there. Oh, by the way, uh, let's see, 
Let me give you an update on uh, John. Did I give you the update last week that I talked to him? Okay, so we're not. Mike was at church Sunday. He's really in bad shape. Um, he is. Um, uh, they think they think they've found something in his stomach. So they're going to have another test. There's going to be two weeks. And he's going to have a some sort of another test to see what this is. They they found a mass. So uh, they've given him some kind of medication that is helping him um, be able to eat again. But the boy is weak as, as all get out. It's unbelievable. He's, he's got tremors. And, I mean, you know, I was like, wow, this, he, looks, he looks bad. Sorry, Mike, if you listen to this at some point. Uh, we're praying for you, bud. So let's, let's do that. Let's go to prayer. We'll pray for uh, today. We'll pray for Mike, pray for John. Um, I haven't heard how Gary's doing. Is Gary doing okay? Yeah, I heard him Okay. He was doing okay last time I heard him. Okay. All right, good. And so uh, when we finish that, we will pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 15. We'll read through the end of the chapter. We'll start with Danny's table, Dan's table. Dan, you got your, your, your peepers? Okay. And uh, George's table, Tom's table, and our table. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see how far we get. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for uh, the way that you continue to work in our lives. And um, we appreciate the fact that you love us and you care for us even when we are unlovely and even when we fail you. It's uh, uh, a privilege and honor to be able to study your word and to attempt to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We pray that you'd help us today. We pray you'd be with John, continue to help in his recovery. Thank you for the good report we had from him. And we pray that you would uh, just continue to strengthen his body and bring his uh, taste buds and salivary glands back online and help him to be able to uh, get off of the feeding tube. Uh, Pray for a good report in July when he has another checkup. Pray that you'd be with uh, Mike as well, and we thank you for... Uh, the fact that you care for him and love him. It's been a a tough time when you don't know what's going on in your life and when your body seems to be rebelling against you. So I just pray that you would uh, strengthen him, let him know that he is loved and cared for, be with uh, Michelle and and the kids as well. Um, I pray that you would uh, be with the doctors as they uh, have found what they think might be the problem, help them to be able to identify it and be able to correct it. We pray that it would be a minor uh, correction that all it would take, but we just ask that you would strengthen his body and, uh, during this day. Again, we pray that you would bless us as we study your word, open our eyes to new insights, new thoughts, new ideas, help us to be able to, uh, to, be able to lock some of these new truths into our hearts and minds and lives. And uh, we will give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let's pick it up in uh, Judges chapter 15 and starting in verse 14. As he approached Lehi, uh, the uh, Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him with power. The ropes of his arms became like chart flags, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. 
And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he called that place, Ronald Levi. Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, You have accomplished, accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So God uh, split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came from it. He drank, his spirit returned, and he uh, revived. Samson was a judge for the Israelites for 20 years during the time of the Philistines. Okay, let's stop there for just a bit and talk about this. This uh, uh, Samson has a play on words. Notice that this this Samson has a great victory. We talked about that last week. We talked about the fact that he kills a thousand men. Notice, remember that the that the, the, the tribe of Judah has three thousand men who do nothing. They do nothing. Imagine what they could have accomplished if they had joined the fight. You know, but he kills a thousand men. He uses a jawbone of an ass. It's a uh, it's a fresh jawbone, it says, so it's still, it hasn't dried out. Uh, he's touching against something that's unclean, something that's inappropriate for him as a Nazarite to, to touch a dead thing. But he does so and kills a thousand men. And then he does something which is kind of interesting. It's not unusual for you to have songs of victory. Deborah did it early in the in Judges. We had that. Uh, uh, Moses' uh, sister does it with uh, in, in Exodus after the Red Sea, and it talks about the horse and riders uh, that, were, that were slaughtered by, they were killed by God when the, the seas collapsed, um, the walls collapsed of the Red Sea. And um, so it's not unusual, but usually God gets some kind of credit. Did, did God get any credit for this? Any mention that? No, there's no credit at all. Verse 18 says, Samson says, You have accomplished this great victory. What's the song say? That's verse 18. That's yeah, we were in verse 16, though. With the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. It's all about him. Now, we're going to get to that because when he gets into trouble, what's he do? He reverts back to praying for God. What what do we do when everything is going well? We take credit for it, right? You know, I've, I've told you how many times in in my life when I was in sales, you know, I'd be saying, "God, I need a, we need some business. We need you know the the sales are lagging. It's going to be kind of tough. We're not going to make enough to you know got to have more money for the for this month." And God brings it in. The first thing I do, what a great guy I am. I can't believe what a great job I did. And then I go, oops, wait a second. It's really God that did that, not me. I asked for him. He helped me. And first thing I do is I claim his glory, right? Of course, none of, I know none of you guys ever do that. I'm the only one. That, I understand that. I, I know that I'm the failure here. But that's what, and that's exactly what Samson does. He claims the glory. Yeah, look what I did. And then he talk, it's kind of interesting the the heap he he talks in the in the uh, in the King James it talks about donkeys and heaps, and and in in the Hebrew, it's a play on words that they're spelled virtually identical. There's like one letter difference uh, in the way that you you do that. So he's playing the, he's playing a game here. It's kind of an interesting game. It's not unusual for songs and poetry to do that to have this uh, rhyme and to have a uh, uh, words that are similar. 
uh, in their in the way that they're pronounced, and um, just like you would in a poem at times. So he he uh, he does that, and he talks about uh, this place. And then he, then he names the place Ramath Lehi, which is uh, I think Gary read that last week, and in, in that particular passage in verse seventeen. Uh, that literally means uh, Jawbone Hill, hmm. and so he is—he's—he's uh, he's naming it for himself. Now it could be that he's actually ma- making a play again on the words, because hill or heap, whatever the case may be, he's got thousand men piled up in a heap, you know. And so it could be that he's referring to that, or it could be that he's renaming. The hill, regardless, he's naming it for his victory. That he is the he's the man. So you can imagine Samson. I, I imagine Samson dancing and you know, shouting and and you know just cavorting and having a great time of the great victory that he had. And then it goes that after his after the result of that, what happens after after you've exerted yourself a lot? You get thirsty, which makes perfect sense. But there's no water apparently right there. And so what's he do? In verse 18, because he was thirsty, he cries out to the Lord. And he says, you have given your servant a great victory. Now he starts to say that it's God that did it. But he's doing it in a prayer. And he says, now must I die as a result of thirst? The hands of the uncircumcised. This reminds me of a little bit in a few books further on. And we have Elijah. And remember, Elijah is has this great victory, and then he goes off to the cave and says, "I just want to die. You know, I'm the only one left. It's you know, poor, poor me." And that's kind of Samson's idea here. And you know, I'm going to die. I'm thirsty. And then God does something interesting. He he opens a hollow place. Apparently, in uh, Palestine, there are areas where the rocks are somewhat <coughs> porous, and their water sometimes collects in certain parts of the rock. And um, think think of it as um, we don't know if there's a spring that actually came from here or not, but it, apparently it breaks open, and he's able to to assuage his his thirst. But think of the the idea of the rock and water, how important that is, and, and the picture that goes even back all the way to Exodus. Remember Exodus. Uh, Exodus, God says to Abraham, he says, I will stand before you by the rock of Horeb and, uh, and strike the rock. The water will come out of it and the people will drink. And so Moses did that in the sight of all the elders of Israel. It's in Exodus uh, chapter 17. It does the same thing in Numbers 20. In fact, there's, there are those, according to 1 Corinthians, there's a, there's a hint and, and some scholars think that, that this rock that Moses struck, which would be really weird and really kind of cool if it actually did, I don't know, we're not told for sure, but it would appear from, from, from Corinthians that the rock traveled with them. So that whenever they needed water, they just had to talk to the rock or speak to the rock, and the rock provided water. How cool would that be? Wasn't that what Moses got in trouble for? Yeah. Striking the rock? Yeah. A middle of the rock. Yeah. Yeah, I'm big. I'm big we don't know. But I imagine it's you know it took a few guys to pick up and carry. I'm guessing, maybe put it in a cart. I don't know. But you know, could you imagine having a rock that would provide water? So anyhow, <clears throat> the point is that rock and water are kind of interesting how they they come together like this. And so this is a interesting thing here. Um, 
It really, in my opinion, and again, there are going to be those of you who disagree, that's fine. <coughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you be wrong. Oh, did I say that? You didn't no, say that. Did I say it out loud? Did I? My quiet voice spoke out loud. Oh, well. I think that, that, that this prayer that, Moses, that, Moses, that, that, that uh, Samson prays is rather narcissistic. I think it just plays into this type of life that he has. It's all about me, man. I gotta have I gotta have water. I'm gonna die. You know, I I claim the victory, and then I give God the victory when I get in trouble, and so I'm gonna go. Oh, I need this. I need it really bad. And so the end of result of all of this would be this. A couple of things I have questions about. Can you imagine? We we've already mentioned this once, but Judah has three thousand men. They're standing there, and they do absolutely nothing. They, they, don't, they, they have no desire to pick up weapons and attack the Philistines. They've lived under the, the control of the Philistines for years. And, you know, it's just, well, you know, we're just going to let them do it. We're not going to join. We're not going to join Samson. We're not going to join God's side in battle. I find that kind of... The beginning could very well be. Yeah. No, notice how often, notice here, this is something that happens throughout Scripture, but it also happens in our life, that as soon as you have a triumph, as soon as you have a victory, the next thing that happens is a test. Have you ever noticed that? The triumphs are, are if triumphs aren't balanced with t- trials, the the danger is for us to become proud and self confident in our own strength. And I think that God just has to kind of remind us, hey, by the way, remember, I'm the one that gave you the victory. And I know that that I've had that tendency at times to. We're at some place that uh, somebody studied this um, after. Uh great accomplishments or victories mm-hmm. people often enter a period of depression or sadness. Very possible. That's interesting. And yet, God is the one who is still at work here. It's, the, it's God that really gives the victory, right? So what we have here is we have, again, uh, Samson motivated purely by what? Revenge. Revenge, self-interest. It's all about me. Yeah. And the motivation that Samson uses, is it any different than what the, the Philistines do? You did me wrong, so therefore, I'm going to do you wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, here, here's what I, well, I want to try something. We'll just see if you guys are interested in this or not. We'll see. Why don't you go, turn over to the book of Proverbs. I'm going to walk through Proverbs because I think that Samson manifests a lot of the characteristics of a particular type of person found in Proverbs. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10. We'll start there. We're going to, we're going to walk through Proverbs. So, so Proverbs 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Look at verse 23 of chapter 10. You there? Verse 23. A fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. Look at Proverbs 13, 20. 
By the way, I'm just cherry picking some of these. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. That's Proverbs 13, verse 20. Look at two chapters further, Proverbs 15, again, verse 20. A wise son brings joy to his father. It sounds a lot like verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1. But a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 17, a couple in there. Proverbs 17, verse 12. Better meet a, a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. That's pretty interesting. Because <laughs> we all know what a bear, that, that when she's going after her cubs, is not going to be a happy, happy bear. Verse 21 of 17. To have a fool for a son brings grief, and there is no joy for the father of a fool. Verse 25, just a couple of verses down. A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to those who bore him, to the one who bore him. Verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 6, just a couple more. A fool's lips bring him strife and his mouth invites a beating. How often has that been true? You know? Uh, chapter 19. Verse 13, a foolish son is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant drip. I won't go there. It's just too easy. Yes, that's right, I'm being recorded. And a, a verse, a chapter 29, and verse 11. And I cannot tell you how often I've had to bite my tongue because I tend to be this guy. Verse 20, chapter 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So, in spite of Samson's pretty much doing everything on his own, for his own will, for his own glory, for his own satisfaction, for his own revenge, God still tends to use Samson's wrong motives in spite of himself and his wrong actions in spite of himself to bring about his glory. I'm reminded of, remember what Joseph said to his brothers about the time his dad died and they're going, yeah, you know what, maybe we need to, yeah, you meant it for, yeah. 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 Genesis 50. How often is it that, that God does that, man? God takes our, our crazy, stupid, sinful acts and ends up causing his will to be done in spite of ourselves. That's why I'm always amazed at churches that flourish even when there's sin in the camp. Now, it doesn't always happen, and at some point in time, sometimes the sin comes home to roost and it causes problems. But it's amazing how often God blesses churches in spite of what they are instead of what they are or who they are. And, and I'm, I'm reminded how often it is that God does that with me. God blesses me in spite of who I am, not because of who I am, not because I'm such a great and wonderful person, because I'm a rotten sinner. I know my faults. I know my, my failures. And uh, 
and I don't, you know, it, they're written on a scroll that's, yeah, pretty long. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the point is that God is, is always working behind the scenes, always working to bring about his plan. Now, how that's accomplished sometimes, I think it can be accomplished in a variety of ways, but God's plan always happens. So, you know, will never return void. Yeah. Then the New Testament definitely talks about heaven I prophesied, heaven I healed in your name, heaven I, I know you not. So, yeah. We're vessels just being used regardless if we can operate gifts or not. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter what we've done. You know, it's, it's our motivation of our heart. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not always perfect. <laughs> Boy, isn't that true? Isn't that true? And, and you know, I would say that uh, that how that would play out today for us is a couple of things. I think this passage gives us some warnings concerning types of characteristics that we should not want in our lives, but too often they are in my life. Today we're encouraged to live life in a particular way, and that is just, you know, the Nike slogan, just do it. If it feels good, just do it. It's all about me. And Samson lives in that fashion, which is is the fashion that I think our culture uh, endorses. We want instant gratification of every inclination of our hearts. Whatever we, boy, I want that. You were talking about folly and one of them, I didn't happen to see it. Yeah. Flipping through Proverbs there, but uh, 19.3 was a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart, they don't say, rages against the Lord. Yeah. I mean, I, one day I, I sat down, I think I, I think I have it in my notes someplace, I took every passage, and, and I don't know why I did this, but I printed off every passage, I put it in a, a document um, of foolishness versus wisdom. And I have, I don't know, 100 pages or something of, of Whatever, it's a huge number. It's like, wow. I was going to do this study, and I go, yeah, that's going to take, it's going to take me a couple of years. So far, I, I, I got so far as to actually take all the verses and put them into a place where I can look at them. And that's where they've been for about two years now. So one of these days, I'll get to it. You know, when I, Samson is listed as one of the heroes of the faith, right? Yeah, that's... Which I, I think I take... I take a certain amount of solace in that because even if I'm a major screw-up, God can still use me and God can use me in spite of the wrongs I have in my life. It's interesting, when we, as I've thought back over Hebrews uh, chapter 11, if I ever did it again, ever taught it again, I, would, I think one of the comments that I didn't make that I should have made was that it's interesting that Abraham and Moses get the most space and the rest of them are pretty much just mentions. And so I look at that and I go, well, maybe those are the two that have the best faith. I don't know. David's mentioned, but David's mentioned is basically a side note. He's mentioned along with Samson and Jephthah and, you know, I'm going, wow. Interesting, you know, when you start looking at all of that. Abraham, we got a lot of verses for Abraham, a lot of verses for Moses and his family. No, no, prophets. Mention a guy that's sawn in two, which tradition, Hebrew, Jewish tradition says that that was probably Isaiah. Yeah. 
if I remember correctly. Putting a log inside into it, that's going to be fun. Kind of like the, uh, kind of like the magician. Is it David that's mentioned that he's a man of God's heart? Yeah. yeah. But Which, then, but then, and then he goes on to, you know, sin and, you know, kill. Yeah, he's he's an he's an adult he's an adulterer and then as yeah because you know you know the best way the best way to, to take care of sin is to sin some more right to cover it up. You ever, you ever notice that that it, it's that the sin that you use to cover up the sin the first sin is always worse. You notice how often it's. You know, what often happens even in our legal system, it isn't that what you did that, that gets you, it's the fact that you covered it up that creates the biggest hassle that you have. And often that's why you, you end up going to jail is because you, you lied. It's and, we're all like that, I believe, because God changes our heart. There's this new heart, which is like David's heart. So all our hearts are trying to please him. The issue, though, is we will always follow the yeah. When you think of Samson, yeah. I mean, he cries out to God every time he finally comes to the conclusion, I need him. Mm-hmm. You know? And so there's his faith. His faith is he realizes, okay, I'm done being me. <laughs> God here in me. You know, at the end of his life. Well, even at the end, if you read it, we're not, th- we're not going to get there today, but if you read it, it says... I want revenge on the Philistines, so God give me strength one more time so I can take my vengeance on the Philistines. Seriously? <laughs> you haven't learned anything? You know? In all this, you're still going for revenge. Now, God graciously answers him. That's you know, the Old Testament. That's uh, largely based on revenge is justice, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, except that it doesn't work too well, does it? But see, even that was basically so... People were judged. They were judged, judged, judged not. The judgment had to be of equal value. Right. Yes. It be like he steals something and we need to kill him. Yeah. Well, that's not going to work. Yeah. 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 Eye for an eye. Yeah. Eye for an eye. Tooth for tooth. Yep. But how many punishments for violating the law, like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, is that? Well, well what, a what, 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 rebellious son, take him outside the gates and kill him. Why? That was apparently, uh, to get sin out of the camp. To get sin out of the camp. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at Eli, what happened to him? He was a great prophet, and Samuel finally took over because his sons were busy committing all kinds of. His sons were busy committing adultery (laughs) at the tabernacle. (laughs) Which, by the way, was no worse than what all of the the heathen were doing. They had prostitution. I mentioned, too, when you're talking about Judah. There's a a whole series of, like, the fall of the nation. And the last part of it becomes this. It basically talks about the people first become complacent. Yes. Apathetic. They go into dependency, and they go into bondage. And if you bondage, they eventually get to a point of freedom. Mm-hmm. They say, we've got to change this. Which is the all the major. Which is the cycle? Which is this? Is the cycle of judges? The whole book of Judges is that as well. That's also the cycle of nations. Every yeah. major empire is yeah. to that same thing. <clears throat> Which goes on to say what Ecclesiastes says. There's nothing new under the sun. 
We just keep repeating the same things over and over again. So one of the issues that I have with Samson is that he has a problem with authority. Specifically, I would say parental authority. And I will tell you that as a, as a college student, I had real problems with authority. And I was constantly looking for ways of going gotcha with authority. You know, I, that was me. Of course, I also, I, I, I don't know how to justify this, but it's, it was very hard for me to go, because you know I, my background was, I went to a very ultra-conservative school and, um, with Bob Jones as, as my undergraduate degree. And I had gone to college fresh out of high school with two national programs running across the country with car dealerships through my father's business that I had put together. And so people fairly high up in the auto industry are listening to what I had to say and, and saying, yeah, we agree, we'll do it, we'll do it your way. And then I go to school and I'm told that my opinion is of no value. I'm a student, I'm a peon. And it was really hard for me to change hats and to remember that I was put under their authority. And so it was very easy for me to be a rebellious student because I was totally different on the outside. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was weird. It really was. You know, you'd, you'd be taking phone calls and dealing with issues on, major, on a couple of major programs. And then you go to school, and my opinion was, you know, you'd go to the dean of men and you just shut up and didn't say anything. They, you know, it was their way or the highway. And they didn't really care what you had to say. Your opinion was not valued. And it sounds like being sent to prison. <laughs> Pretty close. I'm sorry? Pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. It was, it was, you know, there were a lot of good things, you know, <clears throat> but there were a lot of interesting things, too. Now, I'm, I'm sure it's changed now. <clears throat> yeah, nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> well, it's hard to say. At the end of the day, here, here's what I say. This whole thing is, we won't get over to 16 if we don't get going here. Okay, so you've got... You got Samson's code. Code of life. And you've got Jesus code of life. What's Samson's code? Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Yeah, self-centeredness in for me. But specifically... Do unto others as they've done to me. Do unto others as they've done to me. What's Jesus' code? Yeah, totally different. What 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 is what is our tendency to do in life today? At least mine, because I'm sure none of you to do this. I tend to this way. This is the way I want to. This is the way. I, this is my normal response. You did to me, and I'm going to get back at you. Every once in a while, I do it this way. It's amazing. Actually, when I do it that way, and I actually realize that I'm doing it that way, how sometimes how good it actually feels. That I, I, it's like, wow, I actually did something right for a change. Of course, then I have to repent because I was proud. But that's a whole other story. 
Samson is a picture of exactly the way you and I respond 90, probably 90% of the time. And yet Jesus says, I want you to respond this way. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's what we call the golden rule. Right? So maybe this is the rule of lead. I don't know. <laughs> this is the golden rule. Remember what the platinum rule is? Do, do unto others as God has done unto you. Which is even harder to do. Golden rule is, you know, well, yeah, it's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. Because, you know, I, I know what I, how I want to be treated. But what about the way God treats us? He forgives. Yeah, he gives grace and forgives and... I don't know about you, but I sometimes that's that's the hardest thing for me is to give grace, especially when people have done me wrong. Right? All right. Have we gotten beaten up enough? Time to move on. Let's go to sixteen. We're gonna we're not gonna pick up very far in sixteen, but what we are gonna do is we're gonna look at the first. A little bit of this, uh, just the first, uh, the first three verses. So we left off with, uh, we left off with Rick. I think we're, Daryl, can you get us to chapter 16 and verse 1? We'll just read the first three verses. One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. People of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying that God <coughs> will kill him. But Samson lay there with only lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Okay. That's a pretty interesting thing. You think about it. This is the main route, by the way, up from Egypt. This is right on the route that goes, you know, along the coastal highway. You know, that's the, the, the main route. And so we've got and an interesting thing here is uh, Gaza... From is one of the five major cities of the Philistines, and Hebron is one of the major cities of Israel, of Judah, specifically. It's 40 miles as the crow flies. It's also a 2,000 uh, feet difference in elevation. Just saying. <laughs> Just to put a little extra in there. Now, what we don't know for sure, and, and scholars are not 100% certain, did... Did uh, Samson actually carry all of this, the full 40 miles, or just to the top of a hill that was close to Hebron? We don't know. But regardless, it doesn't matter how far it was. It was probably at least a good 20 miles. That's a long route to carry. And I have a few questions just to say, just just, just, just to mention it. A couple of questions. You notice in this particular episode, Yahweh is not mentioned at all. God's not mentioned. So I just, you know. And I find it kind of interesting that uh, what did the men surround? 
Did they surround the house or did they surround the city? We're not really told, but it would appear that they're there at the gate. So here's my question. If they're there at the gate, why didn't they notice that he, I don't know, tore the, <laughs> the, the gate apart and took it with them? I mean, they're there waiting for him, right? They're gonna wait. Did they fall asleep? Did, they, did, they, did God put them in some kind of a deep sleep? Uh, did, did Samson knock them out? I, I, I don't know. We're not, this, these are questions that, that I guess that I'm asking. I'm going, how does that happen? How does it happen that he's so, that you don't think that there was a watchman on the, on the gate? How, how does he get away with this? How does he get past all these people waiting for him? And then how in the world does Samson pick up that huge of a thing and carry it that far? And if I got the notes here, let me see if I can find them. I mean, it's, this, is, this is a huge thing. He takes the gate. He takes the post. Um, two posts. And there's probably a bar that co- closes the, the, the bar as well. He, ta- he takes a... It's like he, takes, he tears them out of the, the stonework, out of the wall. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another table dab could be. Yeah. Let's let's wait till he t- let's wait until he tires himself out, right? Yeah. How big were the gates? They're huge. I mean, they're huge. Here's here's my question, and, and this is just just some stuff we had to speculate about. When you envision Samson, do you envision? The Hulk, or just an, an average guy? The Hulk. The Hulk. Yeah. Do you really think that that's really what he was? Or do you think that maybe he just was the average looking guy that had some kind of crazy supernatural strength? When we get down into in the rest of this chapter, I think we're going to find that what they think that Samson had is some kind of magical formula that was allowing him he had some ritual that he had done, something that was special that allowed for him to have uh, magical powers. I think he was an average-looking guy, which would, which would frankly scare me to death more than having a Hulk. Can you imagine? Why do you think he was average-looking? I just think he was an average guy because I just don't think he was that, that hulked up. I, I could be wrong. I, you know, it wouldn't be. at least look like The Rock or Schwarzenegger. How about Adam? Now or, or before Schwarzenegger? <laughs> just, just to ask him. <laughs> He's, I'm sorry? Fabian. Fabian long hair and, and built. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought the long hair part was a. Fabian would be my, my picture. But I, I just wonder if maybe he wasn't just an average guy. You know? And, and who knows? Maybe he's that guy that, that, that gets. Sand kicked at him on, you know, on, on the beach. Could you imagine if that's the guy that, that's able to pick up these these posts, these doors, and these gates, and, and carry them 20, 30 miles away? I don't know. I just think those are some of the things that, that come to my mind. I'm thinking, oh, what if he was just average? You know, like you or me. I know some of you are really buff. I, I know I'm not. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting. He goes 30, mi- 30, 40 miles. Huh. If I'm, 
if I'm the Philistines, I've got to be pretty perturbed. You think? Mm-hmm. Well, now their city is defenseless, right? Yeah. Everything's in the main yeah. Traffic area, yeah. By, yeah. Now they're wide open. Yeah. Up from Egypt, one of the first stops is is Gaza. Yeah. Crazy, huh? And and you know, it's the man has got to be, the man's got to be, he's got to be doing crazy things to their their economy and and their their God. They, we're going to see this next part in verse fourteen. I'm gonna uh, verse four. I'll just read a little bit of this, verse 4 and 5, because we got a little more time. So, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, I'll tell you something about this. You go, well, who's, where's Sorek, and how does it fit in with, you know, what's going on? Well, Sorek is a, is a valley that runs east and west. It basically runs from... The highlands of uh, the the low hills, the Shephelah of Israel, down in towards uh, and out towards the Mediterranean, and the Mediterranean is it, this is an area that is that is uh, uh, inhabited by the Philistines. So chances are we're not told that Delilah is a Philistine, but it would appear that she probably is. Okay. We're also told that her name is Delilah, and that's kind of an interesting thing because nobody really knows for sure. There's a couple of things that, that it could be. It could mean in Arabic there is uh, Dala, which means, I guess, to flirt. Uh, there's also another way of looking at it, and if you change it just slightly, it would mean of the night. So maybe she's a person who flirts in the night. I don't know. Uh, we're not told. We're just told for sure. We don't know for sure the fact that you've got the five major guys, because it says here, the rulers of the Philistine went to her. This is five, there are five overlords. There are five major cities in, in, uh, in, in Philistia, Gaza being one of them. Every one of them is willing to put up, and it says the, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. See, it isn't so much that he's balked up. It's that he's got a secret. There's something that, that, that makes, you know, we don't know if he's David Banner, you know, Dr. Banner, and he turns into the Hulk, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what's going on. We don't know. But um, see if you can lure him to showing what the, the secret of his great strength is and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. <laughs> 1,100 shekels of silver. How much money is that worth? Well, that's a good question. Let's think about that. Now, there are five guys. Each of them are going to contribute 1,100 shekels of silver. That's 5,500 shekels, 5,500 shekels of silver. There's a couple of ways of looking at this. I've decided to look at it one particular way. Let's assume that this is about 550 times the average yearly salary that a, that a person gets. Okay? If that's the case, and just for kicks and giggles, let's say that the average salary of a person is $25,000. 
and which is probably rather low, right? So let's just say it because it's easy for me to figure this out. So that amounts to about $15 million. $15 million is the, is the bounty on... You, you, think he's a, you think he's a minor irritant to the Philistines? If they're willing to give, him, give her $15 million to turn... How many of you are willing to turn somebody in for $15 million? Rick's going, yeah, most of it. <laughs> now, if it was, if it was 50000 that would be $30 million. I mean, I, you know, I, 15 would tempt me, but 30 Holy smokes, you know, now we're getting up into lottery, almost lottery territory. That's how much they're willing to give to, get, to find out the secret and to subdue him and capture him. Why? Because he is wrecking havoc on their economy. So in today's uh, dollars, a pound of silver is about 180 bucks. And it said here in my footnotes that the 1,100 uh, coins was about 28 pounds of silver. So that only comes up to $5,000. See, the, the difference, though, Times is... Five, right? The difference between that is that what we look at is, are we looking at purely weight or are we looking at what it costs for a person to live on? And a li- the living wage was, you know, a little different than what, you know, when we tar- start. And that's why I, I went that route. Because if you go the, the weight route, you're right, it's a lot less. But here's the thing. How much does it cost to get rid- to, to buy a slave in 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 this time frame, how much? How much did? How much did? Did Joseph's brothers get for him when they sold him into slavery? Thirty pieces. How much was Jesus? Thirty pieces. There are some. I think that that the law says that a woman a woman's slave is worth 20 and a child is worth 5 and they're willing to give her 5500 50, 50, 50, yeah. <laughs> yes you see what i'm trying i'm you know, we 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 tend to the problem is we start looking at weights and as we tend to think, oh, you know, but wait a second, talk about, look at it from their perspective and the economy. It's like the difference between a, a dollar today versus a dollar back in, you know, 1950. You know, what we could buy. Or, or gasoline, right? When I was a kid, if I took a quarter up to the gas station, I could get a gallon of gas and still have money left over to buy some candy. Can I do that with a quarter today? No, but if you read it and go, well, it's a, it's a quarter. Well, yeah, but what was it worth at that time? You know, so that's when we start. It, it starts with, whoa, man, they're serious about this guy. Regardless of how much, they're serious about what they want to do with this guy. <clears throat> so the way I look at Samson, he was bulky. Okay. He wasn't any bigger than their big guys. And so they're saying, well, how come our big guys can't do what Samson does? Yeah. I'm sure that's what most of it is. So there's got to be a secret to his strength. Regardless of how bulky he looks, he's a man. They, they think, I, I believe that based upon this passage in here, they think that the supernatural strength that he gets is magical in, in, the, in, the, in the source of his abilities. And they're looking for a way 
to solve his magic, the, the problem that they have by magic, by breaking whatever spell that he has. And if you'll notice when we get into this, as we get into this, we're not going to get into it the rest of today, but we get into this, he gives her like three or four different, well, you know, if you do this, I'll be weak. Well, what? Though all of the things that he gives them are all things that would appear to be uh, magical solutions to what, how he has his strength or how to stop his strength. In fact, if you were to look at the Hittite texts, which again, Hittite and Ugaritic texts are similar. And I, I've told you, my I have a friend who did his master's work in Ugaritic, and I'm going, you are a moron. But anyhow, that's all another story. I just couldn't believe it. He was really good with languages. In fact, to get into his master's work, you have to be proficient in, in the, his particular field. He had to be proficient in, in, I forget, like four or five different languages. So he sat down with uh, the equivalent of a, uh, a primer for, like, German. And he was able to pick up two or three languages just by basically reading this primer. And kind of, eh, I can kind of figure it out as I go, you know. And so he had f- French and and German and Italian and Latin, obviously. And, you know, it's like, man, I'm going out of the It's not me. Not me at all. So, anyhow, these, there, there are rites where you use wool or cords or, or, or things of various colors or, or certain types of materials, and they're, you're, they're used to neutralize magical properties. That's what these people are thinking. They're thinking there's some way... There's something about this guy that we can, we can break him if we just come up with the right magical formula. And they're wanting him to tell Delilah how, and she's willing to try it. And we're going to leave it there. We'll come back next week and finish chapter 16 because this is going to be an interesting story. It would make a good movie. It would make a good movie. In fact, there are a couple of out there, aren't there? Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's pray and we'll uh, we'll go from here. Father, thank you.